Carol Joy Side, and welcome to the Homeschool Made Simple podcast. You're listening to episode 150. This is a podcast to help you homeschool simply, inexpensively, and enjoyably. Well, I wanted to do another take on the books on the nightstand because there are too many to cover in one leap. So I want to uh, jump back into the concept of what am I reading? And it's always the question I ask people when I hang out with them, what are you reading? And when they don't have anything to answer, I think, "Mm, I don't think we're going to be best friends. But um, folks that are readers just have so much to share, so much to say. And we finally... Uh, we often find ourselves in the position as C.S. Lewis talks about in The Four Loves, where we say, what? You too? And it's such a joy to spend time with literary people who love to read and love the life of the mind. And it doesn't have to be highfalutin stuff. It can be really practical stuff as well. So I'm going to start with really practical. Um, I was out to dinner with my friend Jen Sutton, uh, one of the founders of Coldwater Foundation with her husband, Kevin. And I asked Jen and her twin sister, what were some of their favorite books? And one of them was a book I mentioned previously called Brushko, which I did not know about without um, Jen and her sister telling me about it. But another book that the girls mentioned is a book called Goodbye Things by Fumio Sasaki and subtitled The New Japanese Minimalism. And it's just the the thoughts, really almost the journal of a Japanese businessman who lived a very materialistic life, had every book and every CD and every kind of alcoholic beverage and furniture and stylish designer clothes. And one by one, he began to declutter his life. And you can see the pictures of before and after. And it's really extreme. It will kind of make you giggle when you see his after picture but um, he's not a believer, but just his principles, I think, are fun to kind of bring to the table, not that you have to grow up to be like Fumio Sasaki, but that you can glean some things that are applicable from his life for yours, and I thought it was a really enjoyable quick read, Goodbye Things. Then a book that my son gave me years ago, which I think is more pertinent to my life and the life maybe of my listeners is a book called The Joy of Less. The Joy of Less, A Minimalist Living Guide. And I think my son read an article by the author, Francine J., I think maybe in the Atlantic Monthly, and it went viral. And so he got the book for me because he knows that I'm a minimalist at heart. Uh, The subtitle is How to Declutter, Organize, and Simplify Your Life. And what I love about Francine Jay's writing is that she understands the emotional issues that go with our things. Like, well, this was my great-grandma's china. I don't really like it. It's probably full of lead, blah, blah. But it was my grandma's. And how can I? And she just comes up with really practical, sweet ways of like, take a picture of your china and then give it to someone who would enjoy it and use it. 
or keep one beautiful teacup and saucer and then give the rest of it away to people who would benefit from it. Things like that, that kind of cut the Gordonian knot of, I wanted to have less clutter, my house is feeling closed in, but all these things have meaning and have memories and association. And, and how do you walk that middle road of living a simple life, but yet not an emotionally barren life because things do have meaning because of the people who gave them to us very often or the story behind them. I think of my mother, Sterling Silver, which I love and treasure. All my life, I had to polish it. And all my life, my mom said, that's going to be yours someday. That's going to be yours someday. And as a child, that didn't really mean anything to me. But now as an adult, as I use it every day for breakfast, lunch, dinner, company, I think of my mother and I think of the story she told me of how when she first got out of college, she she and her friend both picked a silver pattern and the silver pattern was called Old Mirror. And I think it's Gorm if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, they picked a silver pattern and in those days, jewelers sold sterling silver flatware. And so every week on payday, my mom told me she would go to the jeweler in Rochester, New York, where she lived, and she would buy one place setting from her paycheck. She lived at home, so she probably didn't have a lot of other expenses, and how she just treasured it. And, and I, when, when she gave it to me, I told her, well, I'm going to use this every single day, like to eat granola with. And she kind of went, oh, because in her generation, you saved things for, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving and things like that. But um, in in my generation, I, I personally believe that if we have beautiful things, we need to use them every day and think of the people, you know, who gave them to us. And so, you know, there are some things you definitely want to keep. And then there are other things that you can share and bless other people with and still have the memory of what that thing meant, you know, in your life. So The Joy of Less, A Minimalist Living Guide. I love, love, love this book. Um, I know Marie Kondo has kind of swept the world um, with her philosophy, but some of her ideas, you know, are coming right out of Buddhism. And I just prefer not to you know, embrace her ideas as wholeheartedly as someone like Francine Jays, who I can just jump on the bandwagon and enjoy fully. And then I want to talk about uh, this whole idea of Sabbath and burnout. And I'm going to be doing a podcast on Sabbath, so I'm not going to go too heavily into it. But I think it's something that we need to revisit constantly. So I'm just going to share with you three books that I've read recently and um, see if they're beneficial to you. And then I'll share some other books when I do this podcast on Sabbath. But my son gave me a book recently called Zeal Without Burnout. Zeal Without Burnout, Seven Keys to a Lifelong Ministry of Sustainable Sacrifice. It's written by a pastor named Christopher Ash, who went through some pretty severe burnout of his own. But um, the forward is by Alistair Bagg, one of my favorite pastors in the world. And he just says, Christopher brings to this important subject, not just a personal experience of burnout, but a keen eye to the Bible and wise pastoral insight into the pressures that many of us face today 
in ministry. And I'm just going to page through and read you some of the chapter titles because I think they are really, really fun. One is sacrifice is not the same as burnout. Sacrifice is not the same as burnout. Another chapter, we are creatures of dust, just dealing with our frailty, our humanity. And then here are some key topics. One, we need sleep and God does not. We need sleep and God does not. I love that. We need Sabbath rests and God does not. We need friends and God does not. We need inward renewal and God does not. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, And then he talks about being careful of the celebrity trap and how that can suck you in um, thinking that, you know, you're a, a big shot or, you know, the pressures and the responsibilities that come with that. Um, and then he closes with rejoice in grace, but not gifts. Rejoice in grace, but not gifts. Like don't worship your gifts. Just let your heart of gratitude be filled for God's grace. Such a powerful little book. I really, really enjoyed it. I read it in maybe an hour and a half. And then a classic book that I'll refer to more in my next one I do on Sabbath. But it's just a classic. Sabbath as Resistance. Saying No to the Culture of Now. Sabbath as Resistance. Saying No to the Culture of Now by Walter... I can't talk. By Walter... Brueggemann, who is a Jewish, uh, wonderful, wonderful man. He's a professor at Columbia, and he's an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. And not all of his theology is something that I embrace. I just have to give a kind of warning on that. But his understanding of the concept of, of Sabbath is so wonderful, wonderful. And he talks about, um, he quotes... Amos 8, where it says, when will the new moon be over so that we can sell grain so that, and the Sabbath so that we can offer wheat for sale? We will make the epath small and the shekel great and practice deceit with false balances. And so Brueggemann goes on to say, all the while they keep Sabbath, they are in fact, in their imaginations, buying and selling and trading and bargaining. The appearance is one of rest, but, says the poet, the social reality is one of restlessness, for the pattern of acquisitiveness is not interrupted even on the day of rest. He's a powerful writer and an advocate for Sabbath. And then the third book that ties into the concept of Sabbath is a book that we were required to read in a leadership training group at my church, and it's called The Emotionally Healthy Leader by Peter Scazzaro. And I uh, was required to read one of his books when I was on staff at my church in Wheaton. And I can't remember the exact title of it. I think it's his very best known book. Um, I think it's called The Emotionally Healthy Church, if I'm not mistaken. But um, he is a kick. And when he was pastoring, I think he was church planting actually at the time, Um, he was so burned out and he was dragging his family into such stress and chaos um, that one day his wife said to him, I just love this, 
honey, you don't mind if the kids and I feel led to go to another church, do you? And that was his wake-up call, his senior pastor, that his own family didn't want to go to his church because he was just creating such a toxic environment from his drivenness and his imbalance in um, really worshiping leadership and power over worshiping the Lord. But this book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, is subtitled, How Transforming Your Inner Life Will Deeply Transform Your Church, Team, and the World. And he did the most beautiful chapter. It's chapter five, and it's called Practice Sabbath Delight. And when I was going out of the country on a retreat, I actually tore the pages out, stapled them together, and brought them with me in my suitcase because I wanted to really meditate and contemplate on this concept of Sabbath delight and what that looks like and what is a realistic way to practice Sabbath in a busy world. He was pastor of a multi-thousand-numbered church in New York City, and how does that you know, work into practicing Sabbath when there's always a crisis and there's always something going on in a church that size and how he and his family have navigated that line. And then I want to close with a book that I've just been loving so much. One of my board members had it at their house when I was speaking in California and I immediately ordered a copy for myself. And if you've heard me talk about Wendell Berry, he is one of the most beloved authors alive today. I think he may possibly be almost 90 right now. He's a professor uh, and he's a pro- prolific author. He is taught at Stanford and um, he lives and writes on his farm in Kentucky. He is a working farmer, and he teaches at the University of Kentucky. But he and his wife, she is the most delightful person. Her name is Tanya, and really talk about the woman behind the man. She has edited and transcribed from his handwritten notes every book that he has written, and I've lost track with how many he's written but I read his books over and over again. Probably my favorite of his books, I think I've mentioned in another podcast, and it's called Hannah Coulter. Hannah Coulter, but he's written many, many books. But the book that I want to share with you was back in kind of his earlier days. He started out primarily as a poet, but he has pretty much stopped writing poetry now and is writing extensively uh, fiction, and he writes everything on legal pads, with a pen, I believe a fountain pen, if I'm not mistaken, and then his wife edits and transcribes his writing. But this, as I said, is one of his earlier books, and it's five short stories, some that were published in things like Atlantic and and things like that, but the name of the book is Fidelity. Fidelity. And I want to read you a little bit from his first of the five. This one is called Pray Without Ceasing. Uh, I'll, I'll read you the five titles. Pray Without Ceasing, A Jonquil for Mary Penn, Making It Home, Fidelity, and Are You All Right? And he has um, published these in different places, in different ways, and then finally they put them together in a book. This book was copyrighted 1992, so it's it's one of his earlier books, as I said. But um, he writes about a group of people 
that he calls the membership. And the membership are in a little imaginary town called Port William there in Kentucky. And um, he writes about these different farming families who have done life together for generations and who help each other and care about each other and love each other and the influence that they have on each other and the safety net that they provide when someone is in need or crisis. His books are like taking a vacation. He writes so beautifully. I never tire of reading his books. And as I said, I read them over and over again. But I wanted to read you a little excerpt from Pray Without Ceasing. Though Matt Feltner has been dead for 25 years, and I am now older than he was when I was born and have grandchildren of my own, I know his hands. Their way of holding a hammer or a hoe or a set of check lines, as well as I know my own. I know his way of talking, his way of cocking his head when he began a story, the smoking pipe stem held an inch from his lips. I have in my mind, not just as a memory, but as a consolation, his welcome to me when I returned home from the university and later from jobs in distant cities. When I sat down beside him, his hand would clap lightly unto my leg above the knee. My absence might have lasted many months, but he would say as though we had been together the day before, Hello, Andy. The shape of his hand is printed on the flesh of my thigh as vividly as a birthmark. This man, who was my grandfather, is present in me as I felt always his father to be present in him. I can't recommend his books to you with more intensity um, than, uh, than I'm using. I just love, love, love Wendell Berry. And he is a bright light in the, in the literature of America. This is what Wallace Stegner said of him. What a pleasure it is to read about decent people who love or like or at least tolerate each other, who know for themselves at least what the good and the bad are and who try and sometimes succeed to live by virtue. Washington Post said, here is a human being speaking with calm and sanity out of the wilderness. We would do well to hear him. And believe it or not, even People Magazine said, Barry is a superb writer. His sense of what makes characters tick is extraordinary. His farmers love their land in a powerful bond that moves them forward generation after generation with a sense of fulfillment that seems unique in this day of disaffected heroes and writers who turn to black humor when they must deal with eternal verities. I think you'll love this book, and I think you'll love getting to know Wendell Berry. Thank you, listeners, for joining me this week on the Homeschool Made Simple podcast. I love to help families homeschool simply, inexpensively, and enjoyably. When you help me get the word out about what I'm doing here, I appreciate it so much. Until next time, remember, 
Jesus' commandments are not burdensome. What he calls you to do, he will enable you to do. Blessings.